Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I'm back. Yes, I am back. I'm feeling fine. I went. I got sick. Remember last week? It was a week ago today. Let's go back in time. A week ago today. I showed up and I said, you know, um, I, I, I'm not going to work from the studio because uh, my wife got sick over the weekend. Apparently some bug was going through at her place of work. And so... Uh, I didn't want to get everybody else sick, so I stayed home, and I did the show from home. And then I came in on Tuesday, and then when I went home on Tuesday, I got like a 100-degree fever that evening. Nobody else has apparently gotten sick around here, so, I mean, I don't want to use the term hero here because I think it's kind of overused nowadays, but uh, I apparently did not get every anybody else sick here, so that's uh, good for me. And uh, so I was out sick, really, on Wednesday. I started feeling better Thursday, but I had already taken Thursday and Friday off because I was going to go to the allergist and get the big allergy test, and then I had to go in for some, uh, just a follow-up on some uh, lab work from the physical, you know, for the, uh, and, and so I said, well, I got to fast, so I don't want to be here being all hangry and yelling at people because you got to fast. You can't, you can't get the blood, you know can't do the blood labs or whatever if you got food in your system. So I said, well, I just take the days off. I got all these days that I rolled over from last year. So just let me take Thursday and Friday off. So I wasn't sick the whole time. But I know people were afraid that I was like, oh, my gosh, Pete's on his deathbed. I wasn't. I had a 100-degree fever for like 18 hours. It passed, and I was fine by like Thursday afternoon, but I had already taken the days off. Thank you very much to Brett Jensen and Chad Adams for filling in uh, as well. And again, thank you for the uh, for the well wishes. I am back and apparently allergic to dust mites. That's what I found out today. Dust mites. Didn't even know they were a thing until like a year or something maybe ago. Didn't even know. Anyway, they sound they sound terrifying, but tiny, you know. Terrifying, but tiny. If they were bigger, I would probably have nightmares about them. Just because mites. It's, they sound strong and powerful, you know? Like a big round ball with chompy teeth. Spiked teeth, you know? I don't know. Yeah, like sort of like a big pumpkin, but white. Dusty colored, you know? Maybe gray. A little bit of fuzz on it, you know? So that's what I found out. A little bit of dust mite uh, allergy and... Uh, Oh, and also I didn't even have to fast for the lab. So, yeah, because it was just a consult. But they they swear they never told me that. So I guess I just made that up myself when I wrote it into my calendar. Whatever. I'm not bitter. Okay, so uh, so I did the allergy test today. I had to postpone the allergy test from Thursday because I took NyQuil, and that has an antihistamine in it. You can't have antihistamines in your system. I know. I'm way down the rabbit hole on this. I apologize. But as I always say, like I had done all this show prep. I said, don't break anything while I'm gone. And then I'm gone, admittedly, not expected, you know, for the full three days out. But I got all this show prep, so I figured, you know what? Let me go through and pull some of the show prep that I had done in advance of the Wednesday show that I didn't get to do. Um, now, some of this may be dated. 
Uh, let me see here. Donald Trump rode down the escalator of his hotel to announce his candidacy uh, for president of the United States in 2016. Oh, that's definitely old. Sorry. Definitely. All right. I'll just use the show prep I did last night. Um, everybody is talking about Trump's indictment. Right. And we, and we talked about this when Trump announced that he was going to get indicted a week prior. Right. And we kind of talked about it. But there's a there's an interesting element here that Byron York points out over at Washington Examiner that nobody knows what he's actually been indicted for, right? The indictment is under seal until tomorrow, and outside of the, I guess, the prosecution in Manhattan, those lawyers, nobody knows the charges against Trump, not even Trump himself. So why is this a problem? Well, Byron York goes on to explain that in highly politicized cases such as this, the accuser benefits from secrecy. Speculation focuses on alleged wrongdoing, and we can't examine any details about any potential wrongdoing until the secrecy lifts. And so what fills the vacuum is speculation. Concerning Trump specifically, it's a phenomenon we have seen many times before. In fact, the current indictment drama fits a long-established pattern, right? We've seen this. We've seen this for years, right? There is this focus on a, on a secret indictment or a, a, a secret allegation, right? Something that we don't have access to view personally, so we are relying on media reports which are citing, usually, anonymous sources. Which, by the way, is the reason why these media outlets now have no credibility. They've torched their credibility in their efforts to get Trump. You have a focus on the secret allegation, and then there is this engagement in speculation while the public cannot fact-check the allegation. Let's take a stroll down memory lane, shall we? Let's start with the classified documents case. Trump, as a former president, is said to be under investigation for mishandling classified documents and for obstructing the Justice Department's investigation. However, to this day, nobody in the public knows what the classified documents involved in the case are. And so I just saw there was another story about it. This is why I don't bring these stories every single day, you know, these like updates to... uh, to the classified documents case, because it's all just speculation. It's all based on anonymous reporting, and I'm not going to amplify reports as a reward to anonymous leakers talking to media in an effort to impugn Trump. Because that's their motive. Obviously, that's the motive. The motive is not to shed light, right? The motive is to get Trump is to impugn him, is to create more uncertainty in this cloud over him. And they, you know, they're, they're sort of working out their, uh, their, their anti-Trump issues. That's what that's about. So, no, I'm not going to amplify that. I will wait to see what the indictment alleges. What else? The Mueller report. In 2019... 
Trump-Russia special counsel Robert Mueller finished his report and sent it to the Justice Department. The problem was the report could not be quickly released because they didn't make redactions. Right? So they had to go through and redact all of that, uh, all, all the, the secret stuff. And that could take weeks. So speculation started to run wild. What was in the report? Did Mueller have the smoking gun? Oh, it's Mueller miss. Remember that? Happy Mueller miss. Everybody was so excited. This is going to be this is going to be the the nail in the coffin. The walls are closing in on Trump. They finally got him. And that's when Attorney General Bill Barr steps in and he releases a brief summary of the report's principal conclusions. And the two biggest conclusions were that Mueller could not establish that conspiracy or coordination had taken place between the Trump campaign and Russia, and that Mueller did not reach a conclusion on whether Trump had obstructed the investigation. When Barr put out that uh, that memo, right, that set off a firestorm. Democrats started accusing him of distorting Mueller's findings. Of course, they didn't know what the findings were, but they accused him of distorting the findings. Barr's summary, however, was accurate. And the big picture was that Barr had helped control the speculation by giving the public some actual facts about the Mueller report. Right? Same pattern. We're going to keep this stuff secret. You can't see the final report. You can't see the final product. You don't know what the conclusions are. But I have a person familiar with the matter who's going to comment. And then I'm going to take those comments, turn them into a, you know, above the fold screaming headline. That impugns Donald Trump. And at some point we'll find out that it wasn't true. And nobody will ever be held accountable. No sources will ever be burned. No journalists will ever be fired or reprimanded. No corrections will be issued. No Pulitzers returned. Right? That's how this goes. So no, I, I don't have any faith in your reporting. I don't, I don't afford you any credibility because you have, uh, you have earned the loss of it. So that's where I'm at. Oh, and then remember the first impeachment, the call with uh, the Ukrainian president? Oh, and then remember the dossier? Same pattern. Oh, and then remember the tax returns? Same pattern. It's always the same pattern. Secrecy, allegations, and then what? A nothing burger. All right, now given the state of affairs in our country and the world, are you asking yourself whether you're prepared for an emergency? I actually get asked this a lot. My answer, start at Carolina Readiness Supply. 2,000 square feet of supplies. The full line of Augustan Farms and Mountain House Foods. Books, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, camping and hiking supplies. Being prepared is just smart. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing or somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. In Waynesville and online at carolinareadiness.com, get tickets to the Heritage Life Skills event also. Make a day trip to the mountains and return home fully prepared. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? So the uh, the problem with the uh, story here about the indictment of former President Donald Trump is that nobody knows actually what the indictment says. And this is, as Byron York writes at the Washington Examiner, this is a similar pattern. This, is the, this has been the way it always unfolds with all this stuff around Trump. And there are more than these examples that he lists. Like he goes, he, he talks about uh, the Mueller report. He talks about the classified documents case. He talks about the first impeachment, right? 
Do you remember when there was a whistleblower and there was, oh, there's a phone conversation. It was between the new Ukrainian president and Donald Trump, and he was he was engaging in treason. Acting on the advice of House Democrats, the whistleblower filed a secret complaint targeting the president. Nobody in the public knew what was happening. No Republicans in the House knew what was happening. And that allowed Representative Adam Schiff for brains to then make TV appearances discussing the whistleblower complaint. He started suggesting that it showed wrongdoing by Trump and hinting that it might even lead to impeachment. Then Speaker Nancy Pelosi took up Schiff's cause, announcing an impeachment inquiry over evidence that nobody knew anything about. Speculation ran wild, and it was all on the basis of secret evidence. And that is when Trump had finally had enough, and he just released the transcript of the phone call. It was, an un, it was unprecedented for Trump to do such a thing, but the moment he did it, light shone on a debate that had previously been conducted in the dark. Both sides claimed the transcript supported their case, but politically the important thing, uh, the important thing was this. The accusers have been benefiting from the secrecy. That's the key. They benefit from secrecy. And releasing the information allowed us all to now argue from the same vantage point, right? We were all on a level playing field. Then there was the dossier. The the grandfather of all the secret accusations against Trump, right? The Steele dossier created by a former British spy paid by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic Party, later adopted by the FBI, The dossier was a compilation of unfounded allegations claiming there was a long-term, well-developed conspiracy between Trump and the Russian government. It was all BS. It created enormous anticipation among journalists, Democrats, but I repeat myself, and never Trumpers. It's hard to overstate the sense of excitement that existed among that group about the so-called P-tape that alleged the Kremlin had a video of Trump involved in a sex act with prostitutes in a Moscow hotel room back in 2013. Right. There are people today that still believe that exists. There are. That's why I call them Blue Anon. It's like QAnon, but these are conspiracy theories and stories that the mainstream media amplifies and gives a seal of approval to. This, this air of credibility when they're not true. Stories are not true. And the people are never disabused of the, of the, the, the false stories. And then there were the tax returns. Remember that one? Man, good times. Tax returns. As a candidate, then as president, Trump refused to release his tax returns, breaking with 40 years of tradition. That decision set off a long Democrat crusade to force him to release the tax returns. As they pushed, Democrats and their allies in the press fed increasingly sensational speculation about what the returns might conceal. Right? We have word that it might be this. We have understanding from people uh, familiar with the matter that it could be this other thing. Oh, my gosh. Massive criminality. International intrigue. Wrongdoing on a Trumpian scale. Democrats win the majority in 2018, 
Democrat House members intensify their efforts to force Trump to release the returns. And while it did take years, a long court battle and a trip to the Supreme Court, they finally won. Democrats finally won in 2022. And then. Yeah, nothing. The big journalism outlets did all these deep dives and. Nothing. It, nothing terribly spectacular. <laughs> just, huh? In the end, Democrats reaped political benefits from the secrecy. That's the key that uh, Byron York is is hammering. And it's the same thing in this case with this indictment. Now, luckily, we're going to, you know, this period of secrecy will be brief because the indictment gets revealed tomorrow. And then we'll see. Now, does the judge slap a gag order on everybody involved? I would hope not, because the the left has no problem leaking all of this stuff out, getting all of this publicity, amplifying their narratives, making their allegations from the cover of the, or dare I call it, the cloak of night, um, making all of these allegations from the safety of secrecy. But we've already seen what's been going on. This is, you know, Weeks and weeks of secrecy and speculation as this investigation intensified. And it's the same pattern that they have used against Donald Trump from the beginning. After the uh, after it was announced that this indictment would be coming, Trump's going to turn himself in. Although, I, so I'm unclear, I'm unclear from the, the Trump supporters, from the always Trumpers or only Trumpers, right? Because you got your never Trumpers, and then you got your only Trumpers. Um, so I am curious when DeSantis didn't say something that was wrong, and then when DeSantis did say something that was not enough. Is that my understanding of it? Is there a is there any permutation where DeSantis is allowed to to act at all or say anything at all regarding Donald Trump, except to say I'm not going to run for president, and then he'll he'll be allowed to speak? Is that the standard? I'm sorry, guys, but if DeSantis wants to run for president, I mean, first off, he's going to have to get past Asa Hutchinson, the dynamo. Talking about Asa, I mean, whoo, juggernaut, right? What a what a candidate and campaign. Literally, like, ones of people have been clamoring for Asa to be getting into the race. Thank God he's in the race. What would the race have been? Right. I mean, we get a Larry Hogan in there, going to get a Mike Pompeo in there. Uh, we got a Mike Pence in there. But we, what, what we really needed, oh, what was the other guy? Uh, uh, Sununu, right? Got him in there. And Asa. Asa Mentum. It's a real thing, people. It's building. He, he, might, he might pull like 0.00012% of the vote. It, it could happen in one primary. It could happen. So exciting. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will 
consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. There was like seven or eight vehicles, maybe even a dozen, I don't even know. They were uh, driving like 30, 35 miles an hour, looked like, down the road to take Donald Trump to the airport. Now they've arrived at the airport. They got a big old Trump plane. I mean, that's a massive jet right there. It says Trump on it. Which I don't know, from a security standpoint, is that wise? Is that wise to literally label the plane? Because there are a lot of deranged people out there. If they're trying to target him. If there's some confusion, like, hmm, not sure which plane to target, hmm, maybe it's that big blue one that says Trump on it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's his plane, I think. <laughs> uh, so now they're, yeah, he's they're, he's on the tarmac. They're getting him to, I mean, that's a big old plane. Is that like a 747? It dwarfs all of the other planes out there. And those other ones seem kind of big, too. Anyway, um... So he's going to turn himself in. Now, the other day when uh, this was announced, um, Ron DeSantis said he put out a statement saying the weaponization of the legal system to advance a political agenda turns the rule of law on its head. It is un-American. The Soros-backed Manhattan district attorney, I'll come back to that, has consistently bent the law to downgrade felonies and to excuse criminal misconduct, yet now he's stretching the law to target a political opponent. Florida will not assist in an extradition request given the questionable circumstances at issue with this Soros-backed Manhattan prosecutor and his political agenda. Empty but dangerous posturing. Trump is likely... Oh, I'm sorry. So that was it. All right, so that's the next... Uh, that was the response. Um, so that was what Ron DeSantis said. Florida will not assist. And now that raises questions as to whether or not that's allowed, whether that's constitutional or not. David French, who is... Now a New York Times columnist, um, he has he's he went like Trump broke his brain. He's a never Trumper, and uh, he, he like this is the guy that talked about uh, drag queen story hour being a blessing of liberty. Like he's he's gone he's gone nuts anyway. But he's a, he's a lawyer, and he has actually argued in defense of uh, conservative and uh, free speech issues in appellate courts maybe even the Supreme Court at some point. But the guy has done a lot of work. He's a lawyer. He's done a lot of work on religious liberty issues and stuff. And that's why, it's, like, his his fall to me has been a big disappointment because I enjoyed reading his work years ago, and now everything is just... I mean, they gave him... He, he left the job at, where was he, at the Dispatch or the Atlantic or something? Now he's at the New York Times. So he is, yeah. So you know he's got he's drawn a paycheck because of his never trumpism. And so everything is filtered through that prism. But of course Ron DeSantis is like literally worse than Trump who was worse than Hitler, right? Everybody's always worse than the last guy, right? The the current guy is the worst of the worst, but then when the current guy exits the stage, however briefly, then the next guy or even the potential next guy must be worse than the worst guy ever that was right now. And so now they're trying to cut DeSantis's legs off at the kneecaps as well. And David French says that 
This was just dangerous, empty posturing. Trump is likely to surrender to the D.A., but even if he doesn't, DeSantis doesn't have the power to block extradition. The Constitution and federal statutes compel it, but giving the mob false hope can be dangerous, as we learned on January 6th. Right, so David French is attacking DeSantis for throwing this red meat out there for the base, uh, you know, saying, I will block it, and this and that, knowing that he can't. And then, of course, the Trump world folks, they then start citing David French, who they would never cite David French on any other occasion, but they, they start citing David French and, and pointing out that what he is saying uh, means that DeSantis is lying to you, that he can't stop this from happening. David French also argues that the indictment against Trump uh, is is a totally solid thing, right? This is like this isn't any kind of an overreach. It's not political or whatever, which prompted a response from a fellow by the name of Brad Smith on Twitter. His Twitter handle is called Kamish Smith, and as you might have guessed from the title or from his handle. Um, He is a former commissioner of the FEC. He is a former Federal Elections Commission commissioner. Okay? I would submit to you, the guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to campaign finance rules, which is what we are led to believe is at the heart of this indictment against Trump. But we don't know because it's still secret. The question is whether federal campaign finance law was violated by the Trump organization's payments to Stormy Daniels. Whether there is precedent on this, there is, I guess, the district court judge let basically the same theory go to trial in the case of John Edwards. And we've compared that. When this all first erupted, I spent a good bit of time going over uh, what the... uh, what the indictment was over, right, because there was a statute of limitations on this uh, for the misdemeanor charge that ran out in order to make it a federal charge. Then it had to be tied to uh, or well, in order to keep the charge going, it had to be tied to a federal regulation, which is how they are trying to uh, give it these legs, which is that it was some campaign finance violation. Theory is this federal law defines a campaign contribution as anything, quote, for the purpose of influencing an election for federal office, right? Anything for the purpose of influencing an election. Hush money paid to Stormy Daniels was thus for the purpose of influencing the 2016 election. And so was an illegal and unreported campaign contribution. But this commissioner says that's wrong because expenditure is defined under the Federal Elections Campaign Act of 1971 or FICA, as anything for the purpose of influencing a campaign, but it also has to include expressed advocacy, which means words like vote for, elect, defeat, right? You've got to make a clear call to action. Second, the statute makes clear that not everything done with the purpose of influencing an election is a contribution or expenditure, okay? A lot of things could be done for the purpose of influencing an election, but are ex- but are specifically excluded from the definition. For example, you want to go out and buy some clothing. You want to get a $600 haircut. You want to get teeth whitened. 
right? These are not campaign expenditures, even if they are done for the purpose of influencing an election, right? You want whiter teeth so you look better on camera. Is that in an, in an attempt to influence the outcome of an election? Yeah. But also, no. To me, the best analogies are giving to charity and settling lawsuits, he says. Either can be done by a candidate to better his image, and so that would, right, influence an election, but neither one of them are expenditures. And the, the payments to Stormy Daniels, neither is a, uh, is a pre-existing legal obligation on the candidate. He, he didn't... He didn't do it to win the election. You could say, like, I'm paying her off because people pay these types of settlements all the time. Especially if you're running around grabbing women. uh, Never mind. Like, you could see where this would be a normal course of action. Yes, I've been monitoring the the Trump plane. I mean, I assume it's the Trump plane because it says Trump on the side of it, and it's very big. And he got onto it. And so we're monitoring it, and it's sitting on the tarmac. And, like, CNN's got a live shot. Fox has a live shot. Uh, I believe WSOC-TV broke in locally to show us the plane and maybe the motorcade as they were driving to the airport. Breaking news, the plane is moving again. It is rolling. Never so slowly. Rolling. Roll. Yeah, this is like every uh, experience I've had recently on a plane. That, yeah, that seems like it. Um, so he's on his way up to New York to turn himself in. By the way, what kind of mugshot do you think he's going to get? If they're not, look, if they're not putting that mugshot on every piece of merch in the campaign store, I don't know what they're even doing this for, really. Like, they need to go, like, get it sepia or black and white filtered, you know, turn it into, like, the... Uh, like the Lenny Bruce looking, yeah, mug shots, you know? Yeah, yeah, on shirts, on mugs, stationery, bumper stickers, all that stuff. They really need to just just lean into this thing. And and so, and by the way, like, you know, they do the one from the front, one from the side. So, like, do you, so if you're, if you're, if you're Trump here, do you go with the, do you go with the, you know, chin out, defiant look do you strike that kind of pose or or do you do the uh what was his name the the rick perry remember when rick perry or tom delay when they got arrested they had their mug shots and they smiled big and broad for the camera you know maybe go that route as a as a mockery you know what do you do what do you think all right dave says pete Trump's plane is a 757, and Palm Beach International's longest runway is a little over 10,000 feet. Man, I don't know. Is that big? Is that long? I mean, it seems long. 10,000 feet seems like a lot of feet. It does. I would not want to walk it. All right, so back to this novel legal theory involving uh, the president and his expenditures. And I mean, look. What happened here is obviously hush money, right? Donald Trump uh, sleeps with Stormy Daniels, right? Has the affair a uh, couple days after Melania gives birth to their son, right? So he, ha- he, he, he has the affair and then pays the hush money. The question is, is that illegal? Is that illegal? And 
there isn't any precedent or case law that says it is. And according to Brad Smith, a former federal elections commissioner on Twitter who outlined this the other day, he says the FEC regulations specifically reject an approach that something that is done primarily for the campaign can be paid with campaign funds. Rather, the obligation must exist only because of the campaign. That's the standard. Does the expense only exist because there is a campaign? And hush money to a porn star, right, to cover up an affair from your wife would have occurred regardless of the campaign. No? That's the argument. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. But that's the argument. That would be the legal argument. Your Trump campaign or your Trump uh, attorney argument is going to be he would have paid this because he was trying to spare his wife the the public shame of you know of him sleeping with a porn star. So he tried to pay her off, as is normal in his life. This is what he does, right? He has a whole book where he talks about sleeping with all of these women, married women, friends of uh, uh, married to his friends and stuff. So he, he has all this history that they can point to. And then his own lawyer can say, and he, he pays these women off all the time. So this is not something specific to the campaign. It's not an expense specific to the campaign, like hiring a campaign manager would be, for example. That is a specifically campaign-related expense, Right. This is not a defense of Donald Trump. This is an examination of the law. It is a defense of the First Amendment. He is allowed to do this. He has not violated any law. And by the way, you're going to rely on the, the word of Michael Cohen, a convicted liar, perjurer. I'm not sure this is a great case for the DA. I'm just saying I don't think it's a great case. 